I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour is the rally for real. The S&P 500 tries for its seventh straight day of gains. The Nasdaq eyes its longest weekly win streak since all the way back in March of 2019. Our investment committee standing by to break this entire thing down. Joining us for the hour, Josh Brown, Karen Firestone, Steve Weiss, and right here at Post 9, we got Jason Snipe. But first, let's take a quick look at the markets. Mostly a flat day today. We're looking at the Dow basically flat. Same story for the S&P. The Nasdaq fractionally lower. The 10-year at 3.78, pretty close to the same level it's been for the last couple of days. So the question right now is, is this rally real? I'm going to start off with you, Josh Brown. Is this a rally that you would continue to buy into? Do you have faith that this can continue to run? So this is really why investing gets tricky, because... If you think back to the start of the year and if you were just going by headlines and not stock price, there would be no conceivable reason to believe that we would have a first half uh, shaping up to be the way that this one is. It just it intuitively would make no sense. But that's not the way the market works. It's not designed to make sense or to make you feel comfortable at any particular time. And so let's just focus on where we stand right now, because my conclusion is that this has room to run. 10% of the S&P 500 components are making 52-week highs. Earlier this week, that reading hit 12%, which is the highest since April of 2022. That was the first bear market bounce of last year. So how do we avoid buying another bear market bounce is really the question. Like, how do we know that this isn't the same as that? I'm looking at average 14-day RSIs at about 60 that is one standard deviation above the mean, which is 50. Again, highest reading since summer 2022. When we talk about RSIs, all we're saying is that, opinions aside, mathematically, um, we've got an average stock that is in breakout mode. Like that's most of the stocks in the index are looking pretty good. The Russell 2000 is getting stronger. This is really important. If you, if you spend time talking to bears this year, their main argument, the crux of their, their main argument, aside from the economy, was that it's really just seven stocks generating all of the return. Year to date, the IWM, which is the Russell 2000 Index ETF, total return is at 7%, okay. uh, trailing the S&P 500 by 10%, but still now positive. 49% of those Russell 2000 names are above their 50-day moving average. They're in short-term uptrends. That's a historic level uh, for the Russell, and that's up 20% since early May. So you've got not just the big seven stocks moving, but, but so let me finish my point, Frank. So it's not, you know, what is this one variable that I follow, whether it's earnings growth or it's interest rate. It's the, the preponderance of evidence. When you look at the internals, you look at the technicals, um, and then you see that we're being led by growth and quality. Those are the two best performing factors this year. Growth is up 20%, quality up 15 You say to the bears, all right, what else would you want to see uh, to, to fall over into the bull market camp? Like I've just laid out internals, technicals, the factors that are leading are, quote, the right factors. Like what, what's missing? I can't think of what's missing. Okay. Um, and so that's where, I, that's where I fall in this argument. 
Well, Josh, I want to follow up your point. According to our data team, it's actually 55 S&P 500 companies hitting 52-week highs. And it's really a broad variety of companies. Polte Group just joined that group today. I'm looking at McCormick, uh, obviously the spice maker, Eli Lilly in the healthcare space. So, Karen, what is this, this broadness of this rally? What is it telling you about the sustainability of it? Well, Frank, as Josh pointed out, the rally has started to broaden in just really the last month. If you looked at what happened up until the end of April, it was dominantly the top seven or eight mega cap names and their, you know, the tech names and the large communications companies. Just in the last month, if you see small caps and mid caps, they've begun to do uh, much better. And we needed that because you can't just rely on, uh, you know, less than a handful of stocks, so, well, two handfuls of stocks to, to take the market higher. So we're starting to see that. And why? Why is that? Because interest rates are peaking and interest rates, of course, have a relationship with the economy. If we're not in a recession, which we are not yet, and we may not be in a recession, then that's another reason to feel better about the economy, for investors to feel that they really don't have many more opportunities to get higher and higher interest rates or you know, bond rates, and they may move money, and they're beginning to move money into stocks. If you looked at the multiple of the rest of the market, other than the top names, it's in the you know, sort of 16 times next year's earnings. That's not bad. That's really not. The multiple on the top names is much, much higher, particularly because of NVIDIA and Tesla. But if you say we're trading at a market multiple that we can accept, and there's a lot of stocks that have done nothing for the last year or two, then it's an opportunity. If these companies are going to make their numbers, we have many names in, in, in that category, in, in mid-cap, small-cap, even large-caps. The financials, American Express, sells for 13 times earnings. A lot of device companies. Healthcare hasn't done anything. Financials have been terrible. Industrials, a lot of opportunity there. So, yes, there is room to grow. Is there much room left on the top names? They're up 70-plus percent as a group this year. Maybe not, but that's okay. The market can still go higher, even if some of them just hold steady. All right, Steve Weiss, S&P right now above 4,400, about 4,430 right now. Are you seeing anything here that's making you a doubter? Do you believe that we can continue to run higher? Look, I mean, this, this is the easiest, one of the easiest markets I've ever seen to analyze and one of the toughest markets I've ever seen to invest in. This is purely a momentum-driven market. Period. End of story. Josh does a great job in all the underlying data, and he's right. Carrie, similar. You know, those are the numbers. There's no disputing them that you're seeing a lot of companies that are making 52-week highs, a lot of them all very low levels that just hadn't recovered from the decline in the market not that long ago. But it's momentum. That's just so patently obvious. Take a look at NVIDIA. Take a look what's happening. Sure, great quarter. Increased revenue guidance by 50%. Remarkable. Doesn't happen. But take a look at the valuation on an EBITDA basis. Take a look at some of the others. So it just doesn't make a ton of sense from that standpoint. So the only bet you have to make at this point is do you believe the momentum is going to continue or do you believe the momentum is going to reverse? Interest rates have not peaked, Carrie. We had Jerome Powell come out and say that. Now, you may think that he's just well, jawboning is going to be wrong, to but he's all, all but guaranteed a July hike and another hike after that. 
So that could change, but the only reason that changes if inflation accelerates on the downside and the economy declines further, which won't be supportive of the fundamentals. So we really haven't seen but, but fundamental can I just support say for the moves basis. in the stocks. Sure, go ahead. 50 basis ahead. points, if that's what we're talking about, is one-tenth. 50 basis points would be a tenth of what's been raised so far, you know, in terms of interest rates. So right, but we're most are they? of the it's way the there. Absolute. If you, Carrie, well, just you're in highly point, restricted yes. just Not to interrupt you guys, but just to Weiss's oh, oh, points. Can I just finish? Governor, but Weiss, I'm actually agreeing with you. Governor Christopher Waller saying this morning, core inflation not moving, we may need more tightening. Just to your point, Weiss, but just for a second, I want to come over here to Jason Snipe here with me at Post 9. What do well, you let think? me just finish my thought, Frank. Let me finish the thought. <laughs> You're in a highly restrictive monetary environment. History from the inception of the Fed on down will tell you that. So right now you've got an inversion of the yield curve that's inverted more. That's not positive. So answer Josh's question, what I'd like to see is confidence that the economy has bottomed and that the Fed is done. Okay, that's a good point. As, as I just said, Governor Christopher Waller saying not seeing core inflation moving. That's another thing that the Fed's watching very closely. So as I said, back over to you, Jason Snipe here at Post 9. The momentum trade, that seems to be what's pushing the market higher. Do you believe we have more momentum? I do. I, I believe we definitely do in the short term. You know, if I'm looking at, obviously, we got a lot of data this week, a lot of macroeconomic data. We got CPI data. We got PPI data. All those numbers moderating. And again, yes, they're coming off those high watermarks uh, numbers from last summer. Um, but payrolls are relatively strong. We got a retail sales number that was that was positive this week. And to Josh and, and Carrie's point, I mean, breath is starting to really widen out. You have industrials that are up almost 8% this month. You have uh, the material sector, which is almost up 9%. This is, this is good for the market period. We've talked a lot about the narrow breath this year. So it's nice to see it broadening out. So I do think there's some short-term catalyst for us to continue to see some runway in the market. Yeah, to your point, materials, consumer discretionary, and industrials, the best performing sector in June. I want to bounce something off you here, Jason. Uh, Michael Hartnett of B of A putting out a note today saying they, he sees conviction for the S&P to move 100 or 150 points to the upside. But then later on, he goes to say, not convinced we're at the start of a brand new, a brand new shiny bull market. Still feels more like a combo of 2000, 2008, big rally before big collapse. So even if we do have more momentum, you see a drop coming later this year. So I, I would say this, and I think Weiss makes a good point here on leading indicators, just not great, right? So we, we do have an inverted yield curve that continues to, to be a, uh, a headwind for the markets going forward. But um, yeah, it's possible, but I, but I do believe, again, to my earlier comments, that there is some short-term runway. I think, you know, you have to be tactical going forward and make sure you have a balanced approach with your strategy, investment strategy. So Weiss, over to you. If we're talking about leading indicators. I'm looking at transports. Transports actually outperforming the market so far this month. I know it's a small sample size, you're a big fan of some big transport companies, including GXO. Are transport still a leading indicator? And if they're moving higher, what does that tell us? You know, I think the market, I think this time's different. The end may be the same. I said this the other day, but the components leading up to the end are different. I wouldn't look at anything as an indicator, including transports. Uh, you, you know, it's... Uh, GXO, I like GXO, has a unique business model. If you've been tracking the news stories on them, they continue to pick up share. They're the largest independent, and they've got single-digit share. So it's a completely different idiosyncratic story that's benefiting from both the continued outsourcing trends, 
companies like Amazon getting rid of facilities, getting rid of people, and pushing that to GXO, as are Nike, as is Apple, as is Intel. You can go on and on. In terms of transports overall, look, I mean, yeah, they're, they're doing okay, but, but it's not my favorite area. What you, what you need for me to get into transports is see them do a lot better because I'm just focused on the momentum. And just to be clear, I'm pretty long right now, uh, but it's tenuous, it's tenuous long. Uh, it's not that I'm fully invested, but you know, I look at stocks like Deer. I mean, it makes no sense for Deer to trade up to whatever, 410, trade down to 348. I bought it back at 350, and for it, what, a week and a half, two weeks later, to be back up to that level. It makes no sense for a company like uh, like Humana to get crushed today on an old news story when you're reiterating guidance. So this is a market that where the momentum cuts both ways. So it's cutting both ways on the downside with ridiculous okay. moves and the upside. In terms of transports, I just don't know. I think they're in sort of like that, that middle ground right now where the momentum's not strong enough to bring a lot of people into it. All right, well, it's definitely moving to the upside when we're talking about mega cap tech. That momentum still in focus with Apple, Microsoft, and NVIDIA all hitting record highs today. Josh, I want to come over to you. You own NVIDIA. I know a few people on the desk do, but today Morgan Stanley making NVIDIA its top pick in the chip space, maybe a little bit late to the party. Price target now, 500 up from 450. What do you think about this call when it comes to NVIDIA? Does NVIDIA, a stock that we've just seen really run, does that stock have more room to run? I, I think, uh, look, I, I said in February very publicly on my blog on the show, we're going to have an AI bubble in 2023, and NVIDIA is going to be the grand marshal leading the parade down Main Street. Nothing has changed. Everything that has happened from then till now just confirms my feeling that, you know, if you're a growth manager, if you're an active stock picker, you have to find some way to represent to your clients that you are in this uh, story that you're in this trend and uh, or you'll have no clients so you, the choice is yours and you're going to see I think you're going to just going to keep see people continue to pile in to Nvidia just by virtue of it's the easiest way to be in the space it's the most obvious winner of the AI transformation that many are predicting will be a decade-long story and I think that's how people get themselves comfortable buying it up at 430 440 450 um, is, is telling themselves, I don't have to be early, I just have to not miss the whole thing. So that's a phenomenon that you'll continue uh, to see play out. I, I, I'm not saying that that's advisable behavior, I'm just telling you, human nature doesn't change. It's, it's just two things, it's fear and greed. With, it, with NVIDIA, it's actually both. It's greed because, of course, everyone sees a company that is literally unparalleled in its dominance of this market. But it's also fear. We've got this agency problem. Professional money managers have to answer to someone. Um, so in this particular situation, you actually have the two most powerful drivers of human behavior occurring at the same time. It's pretty rare. Um, it was not very difficult to see coming. And we're not at the beginning of it, but we may not be at the end of it either. All right, so Kerry, over to you. You own Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, excuse me, Meta and Alphabet. Um, looking to trim or possibly rotate as we see other areas of the economy and the market start to heat up a bit? Well, it's an interesting question because these stocks, I mean, you just look at them and they're going vertical, uh, which is really hard to believe when we're discussing the largest companies in the world, 
not just the largest market cap, but these are the largest companies in terms of sales and earnings, and their stocks are just straight up. There's a point at which all of them are going to be candidates for, for trimming. Uh, we haven't done any of that yet. Oh, sorry, we did. We trimmed a little Apple, but we added, we trimmed a little Apple, we added to Microsoft. We haven't trimmed the others at all. We haven't sold any of those positions. Um, will we? Uh, yeah, at a certain point we will. Not yet, because there's more runway right now. The market is still going higher. It's being led by these stocks. Uh, and, the, and the environment, not just AI, but I think the economic environment is more um, positive. And so the market is moving as money comes in off the sidelines that's been sitting out and saying, hey, things are getting bad. We're going to have a recession. The market can't possibly go up. 65% of, of strategists believe that at the beginning of the year. So we've got, a, we've got more room, but there's definitely a, a point in time that we have to look and say what makes sense on a valuation basis. It's not, it's not something the market's thinking about now, but it will be for sure. All right, so you're standing pat for now. Jason, what about you? You own Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA. These names we keep talking about, three yep. of the seven that have really moved the market higher. Why not put more money in now while we have this hawkish pause that the market seem to agree with? Well, I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of what was already just said. I mean, the price action has been phenomenal in, in these names. I mean, if you look at NVIDIA, as, as Josh had already alluded to, it's up 197% year to date. But here's the thing. A couple of weeks ago, it was only up 165%. So, yes, um, th there, there's been... Oh, a lot of run in a short time frame. Um, but for me, I think as a, as a fundamental investment advisor, uh, it is prudent uh, to take some off the table at this point, even though there might be some runway, some ongoing runway, as, as we talked about earlier in the show, in the short run. So for me, we're, we're holding tight. It's likely we'll look at a rebalance at the end of the quarter. Josh, I want to come back to you for a second. I know you think there's an AI bubble out there, but you look at a stock like Oracle. I'm looking at the chart up almost 15% week to date, actually growth in its cloud business, as opposed to some of the other ones that have seen declines. Again, it's growth, but it's just a decline in growth. Do you think that stock's also an AI bubble, considering they are a cloud player, a differentiated cloud player, and there's just more and more demand for hyperscaler services? So my, my idea behind getting into Oracle initially uh, a few months back was that it really had not made any progress uh, for a very long time, consolidating for 10 years um, below the old 2000 high, uh, the, the dot-com bubble high. I mean, it was, it was not even in the conversation. It was never one of the fangs, um, and it, it just kind of was biding its time. Something was changing, and the way that I was able to determine that was just watching price action. The stock was under steady accumulation. So initially, you know, it was a good fundamental story, but it has been for a long time. It was cheap stock for a long time. What's changed is that Oracle decided to get extremely aggressive in the cloud. They started to underprice competitors to take market share. But what's more important than that right now is that Oracle's cloud is generation two. What does that mean in reality? What that means in reality is that the infrastructure that Oracle is bringing to the enterprise and corporate customer is already ready for AI. It's not retrofitting old CPU-driven um, driven cloud solution. It is AI-oriented uh, from the start. And that investment that the company made, and they spent a ton of money to do it, is now paying off with huge customer wins and massive growth. And so maybe cloud spending overall is slowing, but the Oracle Cloud's adoption is accelerating. And they are taking share. 
and they don't need the pie to grow as fast as it used to grow because their piece of the pie is going to continue to get larger. So that's the story with Oracle. It's had a huge run. I'm, I'm staying with it for now. Um, the, the news flow is, quite frankly, uh, confirming what has already been happening with price for four or five months now. And what's really interesting is that Ellison is talking again. So, so he's, Larry Ellison's not the CEO, but obviously the largest shareholder. He's now talking about AI uh, publicly. So this stock, it's only $300 billion market cap. And I know it sounds silly, only $300 billion. <laughs> These other names that we're all talking about are in the trillions. So I think there's room there. I'm, st I'm staying with it. I'll, I'll keep you posted. Yeah, Oracle share is actually down despite layoffs. Kind of an outlier in the year of efficiency, down almost a half a percent or a third of a percent right now. All right, time now to bring in our halftime headliner, Mr. Tom Lee. He's the head of research and a managing partner at Fundstrat, also a CNBC contributor. Tom, it's great to have you here at Post 9. Great to see you all. All right, so you got a new note out today. I want to I make sure I point out, you are the biggest bull on the street. S&P target of 4,700, about a 6% upside from where we are right now. Next closest BMO, only a 2.5% rise. Um, you put out this note today saying that we're not seeing the normal Fed playbook with their tightening cycle. This is an inflation war. How does that shape or how should it shape investors' view of the rally that we're seeing and, and your outlook for the rest of the year? Uh, well, I think it I think that uh, there's two things the market sort of framework uh I think is changing, and, and that's why there's momentum in stocks. The first is I think too many economists think this is a traditional business cycle, Fed cycle, tight until you break the economy. But it's really an inflation war, and the Fed will slow down or even stop when inflation expectations break. We got the UMIS uh, one-year inflation survey today. I don't know if people saw it. 3.3%, that's an utter collapse in consumer expectations of inflation. I mean, just utter collapse. So I think the Fed's a lot, is done a lot sooner than people realize. So does that change the rules of engagement when you're looking at this market and where to put money or maybe even pull or trim money? Uh, yes, a uh, couple things. If you look at past inflation wars, when the inflation war is over, strangely enough, the market pins itself to the original level, meaning like 80, 82, you saw the stock market recover the entire 27-month bear market in four months. And I think what we're seeing today is the stock market is trying to pin itself back to 4,800, led by cyclicals because these companies survived an inflation war and you know they, they've been battle-tested. But I think the second thing that people have been sort of expecting widely held is a recession. But instead of us falling into a recession, we're actually slipping into an expansion. I mean, look at Q2 earnings, X Energy, it's up year over year the first time in six quarters. So I think earnings have bottomed. Jack Gorman at Morgan Stanley said the same thing at a conference that, you know, talking to all the CEOs, his gut feels that the economy's bottomed. So we have an inflation trajectory that could get the Fed to cool off, and we have an expansion. That's an early cycle trade that we see the old highs. Now, you also put out some fresh money ideas. In this group, you are looking at tech, but it's not the tech we've been talking about, those seven names. I'm talking Cisco, Juniper, names like that. Why are you feeling bullish about names like that right now in the tech space, but outside the AI plays? Uh, well, you know, our, our number one sector pick remains FANG. And, you know, we're recommending people look at the, the laggards of the FANG. But that's not necessarily easy, as Josh was saying, to put a, a huge allocation to work. Uh, there is a lot of evidence the market's broadening. And I think pretty adjacent to a lot of the talk about AI is comm equipment. And so that's why we, we've listed names like Motorola and Cisco and F5. But at the same time, the consumer discretionary space 
uh, really benefits from a broadening market and, and also an inflation war that's being won, and, and that's why we highlighted the airlines. Is it also a valuation story? I mean, I'm looking at Cisco's valuation, 13 times forward earning, Juniper 14 times forward earning in that space. Are these, you know, below the trend valuations, does that make this play more attractive in your mind or is it the business itself? Uh, it's a little bit of both, Frank, because, you know, I don't want to discourage anyone. When you have a secular story, you don't want to be valuation sensitive. So no one should really be disputing the PEs of an AI play. But when you think of allocated dollars and CapEx to AI that Cisco is going to capture, if, if they can have sustained growth, the multiple is going to go up towards 20 or 30. So there's a multiple expansion story on top of an earning story. So as I said, you're the biggest bull in the street. S&P target of 4,700. Any thoughts about raising it? Uh, you know, we could raise it if breadth is expanding. I mean, I think one thing we're watching is the small caps. Uh, you know, Josh is pointing out they are starting to participate. But though, of course, you know, investors need to be wary that nothing goes straight up. So I think there is a chance, of course, a window where there could be a tactical pullback. I mean, maybe it's going to be caused by the VIX or some other stumble. And, and we would just, I think it's more important for the viewers to know that that's, that's a dip they need to buy instead of thinking it's a top. A stumble, then it goes back up again. Yes. All right. Tom Lee of Fundstrat. Tom, thank you so much for being here at Post 9. All right, straight ahead, our chart of the day. One software stock moving higher after earnings and raising guidance. It's up nearly 50% in a month. One of our committee members owns it. We'll reveal the name and what they're doing now. That's next. Halftime, back in two minutes. And welcome back to the Halftime Report. Let's get to our chart of the day. Adobe shares are higher after earnings and revenue beat estimates. The company raises full-year revenue and profit guidance on optimism that AI features will increase demand for its software. Carrie, you own Adobe. Oh, you bet. Uh, so Adobe has not been a good stock. <clears throat> the, the last month has been fantastic. The prior year, year, two years almost, has been painful. So the stock peaked at the end of 2021, around 700, just crossed 500 for the first time in a long while. So what's happened is that Finally, software is beginning to come out of its recession. They reported a number 16% higher than last year, a little better than expectation. Billing is up 12%. And, you know, they do a lot of things that relate to content and creation. And so when we think about Photoshop, you don't necessarily think about AI, but they incorporate every bit of software software technology that they can apply to their field. They are dominant and the leader. And this is an area that we think has potential now that software is coming back and there's more building going on. Um, there, there's more digital advertising, which has been in a slump. It's starting to pick up. And we think that, you know, we're now just beginning to see the momentum in Adobe. The Figma acquisition or potential acquisition is not approved may have some problems uh, with, with justice, but it, no one liked it. No one liked it. It really hurt, hurt the stock. We think it's okay. We don't think it's a problem. Might not, might not come into effect, but we think that growth in Adobe and its earnings it will continue, uh, be better than expected over the next six to 12 months. And that's why the stock is starting to gain traction. Do you think there's any meat on the bone of the fact that the CEO, Shantanayu Narayan, he's, having, he's meeting with some big media companies, including Comcast owns Sky. He's also meeting with Disney to discuss using custom AI models for outlets to, to generate images. I mean, do you see that as a potential big lane of growth for them? Yeah, I think potentially it is. Of course, there's a writer's strike now, so there's nothing that's really going on. But yeah, over the long term, for, for sure, this is another creating of, of content that uses um, the best of AI is what Adobe is going to help them do. 
Yeah. So let's stick in with software for a minute. Let's talk cybersecurity. Yeah. You own Palo Alto, hit a 52-week high. I'm looking at the BUG cybersecurity ETF, outperforming this week up 5%. In general, we've seen cybersecurity just lag a bit because the AI trade's really been moving things higher. What's your thought about Palo Alto and in cyber in general? Yeah, so Palo Alto has been a great winner this year. It's obviously, it's up over 75% year to date. There was an announcement June 1st that they'll be added to the S&P. That'll happen at the end of today, which I think has been a nice spike in the stock over the last couple of weeks. I mean, it was up just over 50% just two weeks ago, and now it's up over 75%. But what I will say about Palo Alto, it's coming off its fourth consecutive profitable quarter. EPS growth was above 85%, um, and revenue growth, again, was really strong this particular quarter. So I, I, I like this stock. I'll likely trim it as well, you know, as, as we look to the end of the quarter. But I think the cybersecurity theme remains strong, and I think that's continued catalyst for a lot of these names. Is it about individual stocks or ETFs? I mean, how do you play this? So Palo Alto is a, is a favorite one for us in the bunch. CrowdStrike, Z Keller, there's a lot of good names here, but we like Palo Alto primarily for the government contract work that they're doing, which is really sustainable for the stock. So that's why we own it. All right, Josh, you're in CrowdStrike actually, down about 2.5% today. Also a high valuation play in the cyberspace, 66 times forward earnings. Still feeling good about this in this current environment? Uh, yeah, stock is having an incredible year. Started off about uh, 90 bucks. Now it's 155 and change. Um, you look at their last earnings report, listen to the last call. This is a company that just continues to execute. They were doing AI before it was cool. Uh, the, the Falcon products are doing really well. Um, enterprise spend is not as easy this year as it has been in prior years. But what George Kurtz uh, has told investors is that this does not mean deals aren't closing. It just pushes off the, the time horizon in which those deals close. So if you were disappointed in 2022, but you stuck with the stock, now you're starting to see the, the, the fruits of that labor and they keep chugging along, announcing client wins. I think uh, CrowdStrike is a great place if you want to be invested in cyber. Yeah, deals taking longer to close. That's been a common theme when you listen to the earnings reports of cybersecurity companies. All right, let's get the headlines right now with Tyler Matheson. Tyler. Frank, you. thank you very much. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced the results today of a federal investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department launched after the murder of George Floyd in 2020. He says the DOJ found the police department and the city itself engage in a pattern or practice of excessive force and racial discrimination. Garland announced 28 remedial measures, including an agreement to set up a federal consent decree. These systemic issues didn't just occur on May 25th, 2020. There were instances like that that were being reported by the community long before that. Well, the NBA suspended Memphis Grizzly star John Morant for 25 games without pay. The league says this comes after Morant posed with a firearm in a car during a live streamed video in May, less than two months after he was suspended eight games for a similar incident. The Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed a bill into law that closes diversity, equity, and inclusion offices at all state-funded colleges and universities in his state. Those who support the law claim the offices promote racial profiling, but critics say this is going to keep out diverse students. Frank, back to you. All right, our Tyler Matheson. Tyler, thank you very much. All right, coming up, the SoFi sell-off shares under pressure after a pair of bearish analyst notes, but the broader banking sector is trying for its best week in nearly two years. We're going to break it all the way down ahead of our call of the day. But first, as we had to break, 
a quick message as CNBC celebrates Pride Month. I grew up gay and Latino in a very homogenous part of the United States. And I was definitely uh, made fun of, left out. But what that did to me was it really fueled the fire from within uh, and inspired me to want to grow up into an adult that built a community and a culture of inclusiveness at Barry's. Uh, and I feel like that's living proof, A, that adversity can fuel greatness, and B, that it's our will and our spirit that dictates how we handle the deck that we're down. All right, welcome back to Halftime Report. It's time for our call of the day. It's SoFi downgraded to neutral at both Bank of America and Piper Sandler. Both firms note the valuation and its recent outperformance. SoFi up 84% in the last month. Carrie, coming over to you, you don't own SoFi, but you do own some other banks and some other fintechs. What's your take on fintech right now? Well, it's really been, uh, you know, in the doghouse because it, from the beginning of last year, really, it's underperformed the market considerably because of fears of competition, the strength of the companies, how who's going to succeed, how big the market is. We own PayPal, which we believe in. Uh, it's gone down a lot. It's been a terrible stock. Perhaps it's finding a bottom here. It's got valuable assets. I mean, the PayPal button is extremely valuable on all types of um, websites. It's 45% of of all people use it when they make purchases. Venmo is, they haven't even started to monetize it, and Venmo has become widely used by all kinds of communities. So the stock sells for 13 times forward earnings. We think there's a lot there. It's a value stock at this point, and it, it, they're gonna make their numbers this year. Business is, is decent. Uh, the economy is not in a recession. People are spending money, and they're maintaining their market share, even growing it, it, a lot on the Venmo side. So we like that. Charles Schwab is a financial, not in fintech, but I'd just like to give it a plug because the stock's starting to act better. It Maybe it was just stuck in the San Francisco motive. We don't want to own anything that had a San Francisco base, like Silicon Valley or First Republic, but it's not the same. And the cash sorting has come to a, a, a real slowdown from where it was. Uh, people looking for higher yields and higher interest rates helps Schwab. It's also a cheap stock, 14 times forward. So we like that as well. Weiss, what do you think about fintech right now? I think it was an interesting point that Kerry brought up, that PayPal hasn't monetized Venmo yet. I think a lot of people are wondering, why not? Yeah, the fintech space is pretty interesting. I mean, there, there's so many eyes on it, so many people interested in it. But a lot of the companies, the growth companies, are having trouble making money. I mean, there, there's some moats to the business, not a ton of them. So I'm talking about more of the ones in the private market and SoFi being one of those. Now, they're supposed to turn profitable next year. And Noto is just a phenomenal manager, very experienced from a lot of angles. But I think it's a tough space because it's shown that you can just get into the business and you're all competing for the same customer. So if you separate those and then you take a look at PayPal, which has had a troubled year or so, you know, it's perennial cheap. So I don't know where it goes from here. I don't really see a big reason to go away from the visas and the MasterCards or American Express if you want to be in the space, though. All right, let's stick with financials for just a second. The KBE is trying for its longest weekly win streak since October of 2021. Josh, you have some big bank exposure. What do you think about that? 
Uh, I'm not real particularly excited about the banks in general. I think it's great that they've been able to hold up, given what went on in March and April. Um, the bank that I'm invested in personally is J.P. Morgan Chase. I've been in this stock for a million years, um, but this is one of the better uh, names, I think, in the group. It always has been. Its stock price doesn't always outperform, but if you think about it as a total return vehicle, you get a you get a decent sized dividend, just below three percent. You've got a company that's growing earnings. They are spending a lot of money on technology. Those investments are starting to pan out. Um, they are way ahead of a lot of their competitors in apps, in all sorts of technology. So that's, that would be the way that I would bet. I don't really have a, a strong sense of, um, broadly speaking, like all of the financials, because we look at this index, there are so many disparate things that these companies do, from property casualty insurance to um, brokerage. And so it's, it's tough to just say on a blanket basis, the financials are good or bad. Um, so the one I'm in is JPM. All right, coming up next here on Half, get ready to sharpen your pencils. A number of home builder stocks hitting 52-week highs today. Is this rally up to code, or is it built on shaky ground? We're taking you to trade school when halftime returns. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Halftime Report. School might be out for the summer, but trade school is in session. I want you to take a look at the home builders. They're on a real tear this year, up 34%. We got some of those names hitting all-time highs today. I'm talking DR Horton, Lennar, and Pulte Group. And we also have a viewer question for the group. Paul in Singapore wants to know why the builders are significantly outperforming. Jason Snipe, you got an answer? Yeah, so I think, number one, I think, you know, as, as it relates to home building, period, and just the housing sector, you know, one, interest rates have been really restrictive in terms of the activity that we've seen. But if we're looking towards next year, um, I believe, again, for, for a lot of the, the whole existing homeowners that are maybe have a 3% interest rate on their mortgage, they're, they're not really activated to sell and move into a 7% uh, rate. So if interest rates do come down, and again, the market's always six to nine months ahead, if interest rates do come down next year, I think there will be a flood of activity and the market is always ahead of it. So I think that's why we're seeing a lot of the run that we're seeing. Josh, what's your take? You have some housing exposures, A.O. Smith and Invitation Homes. Yeah, there's just not enough houses. Like, it's really, really simple. So that's how you could raise interest rates by 500 basis points, have mortgage rates shoot up, and you freeze the market. You have people sitting with a 3.5% mortgage. They can't move because if they buy a new house, it'll be 7%. And where are they going? There's not enough houses. We're underhoused. We have been for a while. You got three or four months inventory each month. And uh, they're not going to build new ones because the Fed has hiked rates to the point where you can't finance those transactions and have them make sense. So the builders are not rushing in to fill the breach. And you've got this demographic overlay to the whole story where the most common age in the country to be right now is like 32. What age do you think most people start looking for houses? They have their babies in their late 20s and they start buying their houses in their early 30s. And there are no houses to buy. Their parents won't move. They won't die. And this is probably not going to change. So uh, the home builders got really oversold. And now we're correcting that as we realize home prices are not going to fall apart just because mortgage rates have gone up. So Carrie and Weiss, you both own Home Depot, kind of a play off the housing market. Carrie, I'm going to come to you. Why own Home Depot and not own the home builders? Don't they pretty much go hand in hand? Sometimes. Uh 
we know that the home builders had a, a really, really tough year uh, last year, and I think that they got to multiple levels that were extremely cheap. We looked at them, we just didn't buy fast enough, and those stocks have had, a, I, I would say, much deserved rally. On Home Depot and also Sherwin-Williams, the home renovation market has been in a slump because people did all their renovations during COVID, and then they started to go out and spend their money on vacations and concerts, so they haven't done a lot on the renovation side. But that will come back because, as Josh pointed out, there's not enough housing stock. If you can't move to a new house, you either redo what's in your old house, or if you were to move and buy a house, you're going to renovate that one. So so the uh, renovation market will pick up, and we think that Home Depot and Sherman Williams will both benefit from that and from some lower raw material costs. Um, that's going to help them over the next year. So we, we think they're both attractive here. You know, Weiss, I want to correct myself. You're watching Home Depot. What are you watching for? Yes. Um, I'm waiting to come down further. I mean, you, you know, it plays sort of my view in the economy. It may not. Historically, actually, it's not expensive. But the stock really hasn't done much. Uh, I don't know if I'll step up at this point. I still got more work to do on it. Uh, in terms of the, you know, who would have thought, to Josh's point, that you raise rates, 500 bips, and yet the home builders are as strong as they are. So that's simply supply demand. You don't have those same characteristics right now with Home Depot. What I like about it, it's not going to be disintermediated by Amazon because they, so you're not going to pick up lumber and say, hey, ship that to me tomorrow or a little screw or other things they sell. So I think it's attractive. I do believe that as, that as current home buyers find it more difficult to get the prices that they want, on their homes as opposed to new homes, separate category, that they'll spend more money, to Carrie's point, in redoing the houses, and that's what will come out. So I don't know when I'll step up to it. I'd like to see it just hang out here for a little longer, and then maybe that'll be the time. All right, Home Depot shares up about a half a percent right now. So coming up next, we bring you the setup for some of next week's key earnings reports, halftime, right back after this quick break. Stay with us. All right, we're back on halftime. The market may be closed on Monday, but we still have a very busy week ahead. FedEx reports earnings Tuesday after the bell. Jason, you own FedEx. What are you expecting when it comes to this report? Yeah, I think it's going to be a solid, solid report. Obviously, the price action in FedEx has been really strong. It's up 36% year to date. My, my perspective on the stock is we got an activist in there now really focusing on efficiency, shareholder value. They up the dividend 53% in the last quarter. It was very strong investor day, so I feel very good about the stock going forward. You know, speaking of efficiency, the company has plans to integrate its express business, which is air delivery and its ground yeah. business. Does that make you feel more bullish about the stock? Do you think they can pull this off? Because I know you're a big fan of this management team. Yeah, no, I think they will. And I think that's part of the, what the activists has come in and really orchestrate this, this transition. So I think it will play well for the stock. All right. Not quite transports, but Carrie, I want to get to you very quickly. CarMax on quite the run right here, 12th positive week in the past 13. Do you think this is still sustainable that with the used car market as it is right now? Yeah, uh, the stock's up 40% since March, but it's down 50% from its peak in 2021. The car market, used cars starting to get better. There's more inventory of new cars that's helping the used car market. And we're just beginning to see that uptrend. All right. Uh, CarMax, though, down more than a percent right now. Final trades, those are coming up on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Halftime now for Final Trades. Josh Brown. Uh, JP Morgan looking good. I think a buck 50 is likely. Carrie Firestone. Wabtec, 
So now that the infrastructure bill spending is going to go forward because we have a budget deal, it's good for railroad spending and metro line spending and also for Wabtec. Steve Weiss. Humana. So it was a small position. It's gotten a little bigger. Add to it on the sell-off today. Look, it's old news. They talked about this or it, w it came out with UNH at the Goldman Conference earlier in the week. And the company reiterated their guidance. This company's got a great track record in reporting earnings. They had an opportunity to stock down to lower their guidance, but they didn't. So to me, it's a significant overreaction. The stock is pretty reasonably priced here, and I think poised to recover some of the losses that we've seen today and over the week. Jason Snipe, last word. AutoZone, I think there's upside with the commercial segment here. All right. Before we let you go, one last look at the markets right now. Basically flat right now. The S&P up just over a quarter of a percent. The Dow, same story, just under a quarter of a percent. The Nasdaq, basically flat. Got to go. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for watching Halftime. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer.